Welcome to the Rashida Reyes podcast. This podcast is all about your mental health and well-being. Welcome to Dr. Asura. Oh, hello, Rashida, and hello, everyone. Thank you very much for having me here today. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to have you always to talk about relationships. It's, you know, this season has been... Uh, so good so far we have been uh discussing all about mental health and relationships and toxic relationships and manipulation so it's really a great source of um education yes that's true and today we have a mental health day so that's another thing but um but we need to remember and that's why we are here again today to discuss harvard um, about well-being and mental health in relationship and particularly about manipulation and toxic behaviors in relationships and why some people are more susceptible to that kind of um, well to, for being in that kind of relationship than than some other people yes indeed today is word mental health day and we just wanted to uh, open a space and you know to encourage people to um, talk about their struggles and um, well regardless of what you're going through it's not your fault and please do not be ashamed to just open up and talk and, and seek therapy if possible and if necessary um, know that whatever that you are struggling with it's not your fault it's just a mental health condition that you're struggling with and maybe there is something that could be done. Yes, exactly. With many things, uh, something can be done if you're struggling in your relationship or even just in life. Don't hesitate to reach out for help. And there are lots of people around you that can help you. It can, well, for starters, be your friends, but also there are lots of qualified um, professionals like therapists, psychologists, uh, coaches, um, they would be happy to help you with whatever problem you have. You just need to reach out to the right person. But there is nothing shameful in that. And well, we in, in that kind of times that we have now, when there is lots of uncertainty and everything changes so quickly that we can not really grasp all the changes um, maybe that quickly as we should, there is nothing shameful that you may be experiencing some challenges in your life, in your mental health, in your well-being or in your relationship. What is important, though, is to recognize that you need some help. And if you need that help, just reach out. Yes, yes indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, whenever we need help, we just need to reach out to the right uh, professional, as you said, or um, there is always... Uh, something so back to our um, episode today and topic uh, today um, why some people are more vulnerable being manipulated that's the question mm -hmm. yes that's uh, that's our question today and I'm going to tell you why is that and perhaps you um, both who are listening why you may be more susceptible uh, whereas other people are not really that vulnerable um, for manipulation or they do not really 
um, engage in relationships with, well, narcissists, as these are mostly these ones who are manipulating in a, in a relationship. So, um, well, to start with, um, I just want to briefly remind what psychological uh, manipulation is and so how it can um, how it can um, reflect in, in daily uh, reality in a relationship. So basically, uh, last time uh, on our last podcast, we spoke uh, about uh, different techniques that uh, are used in manipulation, and that was gaslighting, silent treatment, and strangulation. And all those uh, techniques and some others as well that we did not discuss in that uh, much detail, um, all those techniques, they are exercising influence through mental distortion and other kind of emotional exploitation on a partner or other members um, of family. Because uh, we will talk about it in a second, but in um, families where children are present, um, psychological manipulation usually do not only um, um, is, is not only connected, you know, with the partner, but uh, the whole system is dysfunctional. And this is how the manipulation can go on and go on. So we will talk about this in a second. Um, and the intention of manipulation is to get power. The person who manipulates, they get power by doing so. Also control over their partner or children and different benefits and privileges uh, that otherwise um, they wouldn't have. And they do it at the expenses of the manipulated partner or the whole uh, family. So um, this partner that manipulates, that, that tries to exert this, um, this exploitation uh, on their partner or their family, they usually uh, do it because of the control of the power and also to fulfill different needs that they have that otherwise would not be fulfilled. So as I've mentioned, uh, the typical examples are gaslighting, triangulation and silent treatment. And if you want to know more about these, uh, please uh, listen to our previous podcast because we uh, have explained there everything in quite detail. So uh, you can learn more about those techniques and uh, be aware that maybe something like that is going on in your relationship. So um, now I want to um, talk a bit about what a dysfunctional family is, because I've just mentioned that um, if your partner is a manipulative person, if you notice that um, they are toxic, and uh, if it happens that you have children, uh, though it doesn't have to necessarily be that you have children, but most likely at some point probably you will have, and if you have children, um, manipulation in a relationship is not only limited to, let's say, yourself, if you feel that you are manipulated, but unfortunately it's extended to the whole family system. And that kind of families, that kind of family systems are called a dysfunctional family. And of course, we usually do not think that uh, perhaps our family of origin is dysfunctional. Because it's something that doesn't really uh, sound right, you know, um, well, we probably love our parents, you know, more or less, depending what sort of relations we have with them. Uh, also, our culture doesn't matter whether it's a culture from Asia or from the Western world, we still are kind of um, 
conditioned into having respect to our parents and you know trying not to really see if they were doing anything wrong uh, or trying to justify you know that maybe they didn't have experience or, or something so we are not really prone to think that we may come from a dysfunctional family but unfortunately um that pretty often happens Mm -hmm. And uh, people who come from dysfunctional families, um, they are more susceptible um, to toxic relationships. And, well, this works in that way that first, you know, uh, a dysfunctional family, what it is. Um, it is a family in which the relations between the members, so the other spouse and, and, uh, and the, the kids, uh, are permanently disturbed and they affect psychological and physical well-being of all members of such families. So if you are a child and you come from such a family, well, then your development wasn't necessarily going in the healthy way. And that's unfortunately how it is. I myself come from a dysfunctional family, so I know how it works. And I know how much um, you know, strength it sometimes requires to actually even um, you know, um, like face yourself that fact that your family was dysfunctional because that's nothing that we are, you know, um, going to brag about. But uh, in, in that kind of families, um, conflicts or misbehaviors of different kind, um, often also child neglect or abuse or both at the same time, um, on the part of individual parents, so one or both parents, they, that kind of behaviors, conflicts and neglect and abuse occurs continuously and regularly. And um, the whole family system has to accommodate such actions because all the members in such families, they basically support the existence of the system and they also support um, the mechanisms. And that's not because they like it, but that's because they don't really have any choice, especially if you are a child, you don't really have uh, a plan B. You have your parents and you're kind of, you know, um, you have to be in this family, right? You, you can't really change your parents, so you have to adapt. And uh, such families that are dysfunctional, um, they do not fulfill emotional needs of its members. Uh, they also do not provide any psychological safety or other conditions that are necessary for a normal development of a child. So that kind of families, um, you can pretty often see that there is quite a lot of intense emotions, conflicts, for example, generate intense emotions. There is a rejection of children or one of of the children where, where other ones may be accepted and and um, somehow, you know, uh, put on a pedestal. Um, there is also this kind of cycle of push and pull without uh, any, you know, reason that is like objective. So, um, so being, you know, laughed and then be, being rejected by, by parents usually comes at random. A child cannot really, you know, um, figure out why that kind of push and pull cycle is going on. And um, what that kind of dysfunctional families thrive on is pretty much chaos. 
because in chaos, those who manipulate, usually it's one adult person, but it can be actually that both are narcissistic, for example, a covert narcissist and a typical narcissist. So um, they thrive on, on chaos. Because if there is chaos around, they can control and they can manipulate the other members of, of the family. So um, this is where the whole problem of being uh, susceptible uh, to manipulation starts. If you come from that kind of family, unfortunately, um, as I said, your development is not going in that healthy manner as it should be going. And that is promoting uh, that kind of attachment to your, because we have four types of attachment and those kind of dysfunctional families, uh, they promote the development of either anxious or avoidant attachment. And people with these attachment styles are more prone to, uh, to different um, manipulation and to be a part of a, of a relationship where their partner is well, most likely a narcissist as their parent, and they will manipulate them. And I just wanted to now also say what sort of dysfunction can be in families, because uh, we often think about uh, dysfunctional families as families that maybe had a uh, problem with uh, alcohol abuse or substance abuse like drugs, mm -hmm. or maybe there is like physical violence, which is very, very visible to everyone. But uh, it's not only that. Uh, if you are a part of a family when one parent or both parents are narcissists, then this dysfunction will not be really that visible to others. It doesn't have to include uh, alcohol abuse or substance abuse or even physical violence that is visible. But it's more about this psychological, emotional manipulation and well, psychological violence, so to say. So. Um, even if you don't have those visible dysfunctions in a family, you may unfortunately still have some dysfunctions like your parents being narcissists, but unfortunately shape your development in a way that you may be without your well knowledge. So, so sort of subconsciously um, <laughs> engaging in, in toxic relationships. And I will, I will tell you um, in a second, why is that? Why why that kind of things can happen to you if you come from that kind of a family? Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. You know, um, the thing is about the families, it's like we grew up in families and we developed this. As, you know, kids, we perceive um, this relationship as the normal or... Exactly. And that's why when we grow up, it's like there is this kind of like um even even if we um at a certain moment realize that this was not healthy but it's like we are being programmed throughout in our childhood that this is the normal thing and we spoke in our, our previous about mental abuse as we mentioned it doesn't have to be as we said related to uh, alcohol or drug abuse or even violence uh, being mentally abused is one of the harshest things um, that one can uh, also receive because maybe other things are, are kind of like apparent uh, mm -hmm. so notice that something wrong and something unfair something unjust that is happening to you uh, may 
be a warning call for you help whilst when being mentally abused maybe for some people it takes a long time to like realize that i was uh, being mentally abused every time we develop this kind of scares uh, or scars for the in our minds and uh, if so to say it's like having a car on your body and you can have it in your mind that's how I, uh, I try to um, draw a picture of mental mm-hmm. abuse. Yes, yes, it's exactly as you said, you know, if someone comes from a family like that, like myself, for example, well, you have those, um, those uh, you know, um, examples of relationship, how to function in a relationship. And unfortunately, as you are as a dysfunctional family, as you are a part of this functional family, this is what you get during your childhood. And you, as you said, you think that those relations are more or less as it should be. Okay, well, you can have a gut feeling. I've, I, for example, had a gut feeling even as a child, but my family was a bit funny, so to say, uh, to say the least. But uh, lots of people actually don't. And, um, well, that's one thing also to recognize that maybe the relations in your family were not really exactly as they should be because um, when you're growing up of course you meet other people you know you go to one school then you change to to another school to high school when you go uh, at the university for example do your degree or you start working and you know you meet a lot of people and you can actually see that uh, in their families relations between different members of their families can be completely different than yours and you start uh, noticing that well there might have been something quite off with your family but that's one thing and another thing is to be actually able to recognize that um, in those relationships that you are entering and then after a while it turns out that they are not good for your mental health and somehow you ended up in a similar uh, similar you know um similar dynamics as you had in your uh, family of origin that's a bit more difficult part unfortunately and um, and that's uh, you know this is how uh, we repeat those cycles from our childhood and um, and that's uh, how you know we basically engage ourselves unconsciously unconsciously in uh, in similar you know patterns of behavior later and that all pretty much you know boils to um to our development in a very early uh, childhood as i've already mentioned it's uh, about the attachment style um that we've developed um through the interactions with our first caregivers which for many people are uh, our parents well sometimes you know if you are in a foster family it can be your foster parents um sometimes maybe grandparents were your uh, were your caregivers because uh, your parents for some reason couldn't take uh, care of you but for the majority of people of people it is uh, our parents who are our first caregivers and um the way in which they fulfill our needs when we are um, infants and toddlers, uh, it all has its reflection in the attachment style that uh, we form. And uh, in those families that are dysfunctional and which do not really uh, offer 
um, an environment which is promoting a healthy development and which also includes the development of, of, a, of the attachment style, um, those children who grow up in that kind of families, they usually develop, as I've mentioned already, either anxious or avoidant uh, attachment style. And um, when, when does it happen? So basically, if you have a secure attachment style, uh, that means that, uh, well, your development was healthy, your parents were fulfilling your needs when you need it. And of course, we are talking here about um, about very early on in your childhood, when you were a newborn infant, and then, you know, a toddler, when you were completely uh, dependent on your parents and all your needs were completely dependent on your parents um, in their fulfillment. So basically, you know, if you if you are a, an infant of six months, uh, you cannot really, you know, um, give yourself food or drink when you need food or drink. You are you are dependent on your parents, and those people who had unpredictable um, caregivers, unpredictable in their responsiveness uh, towards you know the needs of the child, they usually develop um, the so-called anxious. Uh, attachment and uh, and that's because uh, their parents weren't always responsive to their needs you know the um, it was random kind of so sometimes when a child wanted for example you know um, was was hungry and and wanted to have some something to eat yeah like a formula or or, or milk or whatever uh, sometimes they were given it by parents and sometimes they were not and that was coming on random so the child couldn't uh, somehow, you know, predict, uh, couldn't link um, when they get this uh, this um, response from their parents or, or when they don't. And um, the result of that is that when they start growing older, um, they start being really attracted to those people that they feel that can save them in some way and fulfill all those needs that maybe they uh, didn't have uh, fulfilled when they were kids by their parents. So uh, people, adult people with anxious attachment style, they are very uh, susceptible to people who are toxic because um, toxic people usually, especially at the beginning of the relationship, they can promise you everything. So a person, with a, a person with an attachment style that is anxious, um, well, they will take it, uh, you know, as something good. And they, they also are quite clingy. Um, they may have mood swings, those people with, uh, with anxious attachment styles. And what is also important, they have low self-esteem because this is how they were basically conditioned in their childhood. They also have problems with their personal boundaries. So if you think about such a person, they can be very, very susceptible um, to different manipulations that are usually used uh, by narcissists. And then the other attachment style, which makes you susceptible to the same kind of manipulations, um, is uh, the so-called avoidant attachment style. And uh, this avoidant um, attachment style is usually developed when um, an infant and then, uh, then a toddler, a small child, um, didn't really have their needs met um, 
when they uh, when they signalized that they had those needs, right? So if, if a child, for example, wanted some some drink, right, some uh, some tea or something, they were thirsty, and they were signalizing with you know uh, crying or or whatever other uh, way of signalizing when they were getting older, and they didn't really had those needs met at all, for example, or they had uh, them met like hours later, so they basically learn that uh, even if they start signalizing their needs, even if they, you know, let the caregiver know that they need this or this, it doesn't really matter because the caregiver is not going uh, to fulfill that need. So an avoidant uh, attachment style in the adulthood uh, usually manifests um, in emotional distance, in relationships, um, also this kind of, um, you know, uh, people with that kind of style are perceived as being quite self-sufficient, also very independent, not really um, looking for other people to, to fulfill their needs, which is quite obvious, right? Because in, in their childhood, they never really had those needs fulfilled. So they learn that they need to, um, they need to count on themselves. So they are very independent, self-sufficient. They also avoid intimacy because they don't want to be vulnerable. Uh, but, you know, this is kind of a facade only, unfortunately, because people with uh, this avoidant attachment style they are as susceptible to manipulation as those with anxious attachment style. So if you think that you may have one of those attachment styles and you see that you are repeating a pattern of behavior in your adulthood or a pattern of engaging in relationships which turn out that are not really good for your mental well-being after a while, that you feel that you are manipulated and, and taken advantage of, it's very likely that your problem has roots in very early childhood. Yeah, it's... it's fascinating to, to um, understand more that most of the problem or let's not call them problems, all the issues, problems that we face are actually developed or rooted in our childhood, even the traumas and as you described now in attachment styles. Um, so people usually or uh, we usually run into, uh, let's say, fixing the symptoms. Uh, what is appearance, what we can see, maybe uh, uh, self-confidence, self-esteem, and, and so on. But we don't have this deep understanding and the type of education that we need to be deeper and search what was going on, what is deeply rooted is actually, and what needs to be treated. And here as well, um, there is nothing wrong if you see and you can relate to one of these attachment styles uh, to either do uh, some therapy sections or sessions uh, or um, just, you know, starting by acknowledge that there is something uh, that I need to take care of. And it's not about only the symptoms but it's deeply rooted in my childhood and I need to take care of it. Exactly. And it's not also about, you know, blaming the parents, even if they were narcissists. And, but it's just about, you know, acknowledging that 
well, okay, uh, now I have this problem, I need to do something with it because, well, we cannot really change the past. We are not responsible, but our parents may have uh, created such environment in our families that were not really, uh, that was not really promoting our, uh, our, you know, development in the right way. So, for example, there, um, you know, there was no uh, open communication, there was lots of aggression, hostility, um, for example, uh, there was no place for individualism later on. Uh, people in the families, in that kind of family systems, they also uh, quite often have to resign from their own needs to kind of keep this dysfunctional system running and protecting, you know, the, the, this um, this function, which is which is pretty often referred to as a family secret, right? Like, I mean, some families, it's, as I've mentioned, substance abuse or alcohol abuse, but then in, in other dysfunctional families, this can be just very well, you know, psychological violence. So just, um, you know, that's the first step, that you acknowledge that you may come from that kind of environment. Well, it's not really something that you would brag around, but, you know, you have to, you have to have enough courage <laughs> to, you know, um, just... Yeah. you know, realize that maybe it is something in your family that wasn't right. And that's why now you as an adult, you keep ending up in such relationships that are really not good for you. And you feel really taken advantage of. And, uh, you know, you keep repeating this pattern over and over again, because it doesn't happen once for many people from dysfunctional families. Unfortunately, this is a pattern uh, that they repeat until they start looking for help, you know, until they start having a therapy or perhaps, you know, they have uh, coaching with uh, with a coach uh, who is um, specialized in, in recovery from a narcissistic uh, relationship or something like that. And then they learn that what they have experienced was actually abuse. And... Um, um, you know, be, because it's uh, it's not that easy sometimes to recognize it, mm-hmm. and um, and that's that's why you know we need to go deep inside ourselves and and basically you know think about our childhood and and what was happening in our families to be to be able to recognize those patterns um, later on in, in the adulthood. And I'm going to discuss those patterns in a second so so you know what to um you know um what to pay attention to yeah indeed and to be honest as you said we are not blaming the parents because some of them mm-hmm. inherited also this uh, kind of behaviors from their parents and so on it's exactly like- that's you know goes through generations so well it's very hard to break that cycle yeah indeed and it, uh, for them just what is perceived as normal. So even themselves, they're not aware that they are actually raping their kids. Maybe they are, but all what I'm saying here, this episode is not to parent parents. It's just to of course. raise awareness and make people um, realize that maybe some, some problems, um, they are deeply rooted into their childhood, and there is no one to blame. It's just that the past is gone, and now we are trying to find solutions to everything. And that's the goal of this episode. 
Yes, exactly. It's not about blaming anyone. Of course, we are also not justifying those parents who are abusive towards their children um, during their childhood. But at the same time, it is, as you said, and as I've mentioned, it's very hard to break the cycle. Unfortunately, that kind of dysfunctions, they go on and go on through generations. And that's not, you know, that's not a joke. That's how, unfortunately, pretty often it is. Until someone who is, you know, born into such a family starts seeing that something is going wrong and they start to, you know, look for the ways in which they can, you know, improve themselves, in which they can break the cycle. But that, of course, doesn't mean that the rest of the family um, changes. But nevertheless, you know, it's on us if you feel that you may be having these kind of problems uh, that are rooted in your childhood. Uh, you need to first get the awareness where this is coming from so that you can, you know, act in a way like reach out to a professional, for example, um, and do something about it. And um, why uh, why that kind of um, patterns from, uh, from our families, if you were a part of a dysfunctional family, why do we tend to repeat those patterns in um, our adulthood? Well, it's kind of a complicated uh, cycle and the mechanism, but it also it also involves uh, involves different you know chemicals in in our uh, body like oxytocin, dopamine, cortisol. And that's why those um, those cycles are quite difficult to break and that kind of unhealthy bonding um, that we know from our childhoods, uh, we tend to, well, unconsciously, uh, repeat in our adulthood. So um, what, what happens in that kind of dysfunctional family, families where pretty often one or both parents even can be a narcissist, um, there is uh, something which is called a narcissistic cycle. And the typical narcissist um, first, and that's a cycle that repeats over and over again, they have, um, they um, idealize first their partner, for example, but it can happen with children as well. But um, they first idealize their partner. And that, um, that pretty often um, can be reflected in, in the behavior that is called like love bombing. You meet someone and they start bombing you with love. You know, they tell you how great you are you know, how, how great they will be for you as a partner, what, we, what you will do together, you know, go for, I don't know, travel, travel together um, to exotic countries or, you know, whatever you basically, um, you know, want, want to do with, with a partner, they, they will kind of guess it and you will hear all of these things. And that's, that's the part when, you know, when you are idealized because, uh, well, narcissists, they idealize partners because they look in partners for something that they don't have on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically they try to fill in their emptiness as well. But uh, anyhow, ide idealization is the first part of the cycle. Unfortunately, after this ide idealization, what comes next is the valuation. And at some point without, without any reason in most cases, you start feeling that your partner doesn't love you anymore. They stop uh, love bombing you. They may be distant. They may not talk to you. For example, use silent treatment and you don't know why is that. 
And that's the part that is called devaluation. And then what is next is discarding. And that can be either in, you know, physical sense even. Um, what comes to my mind is, is an example um, of a person that I know who was a few times in the middle of the night, woke up without any reason and told to pack um, packed uh, her suitcases and, uh, you know, go back to her own apartment or, or to, her, to her parents. Um, so, but it can be also emotional discarding when, you know, you, you still live with your partner or spouse in the same, same house or the same flat, but, you know, you feel that there is a, a really like a huge emotional distance between you and them and you don't know why is that happening. So, um, so that's the discarding part. And then uh, what, to repeat the cycle, what narcissists use is another um, another thing which is called hoovering, and that's you know from the vacuum cleaner, which is called Hoover, for example, in the UK. So this is where hoovering comes from, the name, and that's basically uh, something that they do to suck you back to the relationship. So that's. Uh, that happens when they start, you know, promising you that they will be better partners or they will not do this or that anymore. So basically, it's another, another, you know, start start of the cycle. Another idealization is coming, and that kind of narcissistic cycle that uh, we can have in an uh, adult relationship. That is a cycle that we know from our childhood, if we were a part of a dysfunctional family, because exactly the same. A narcissistic cycle was going on between a parent or both parents and us when we were children. There was a time that we may have been idealized, like, you know, we, we had good grades at school. Um, it's called the golden child. You know, you, you, maybe your, your um, like sibling was, was not idealized. They were a scapegoat and, uh, and you were idealized. Uh, you know, because of some some feature or some something that you had that your narcissistic parent was, you know, um, that was like a supply for them. For example, that you were smart, that you had good grades, or that you were, I don't know, very pretty as a child, and and you know, it can be actually whatever. Um, what is what is important for 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 those uh, narcissistic parents but then again the valuation came and then discarding and then maybe you were a scapegoat and maybe your sibling actually became for a while uh, a golden child because that's quite uh, quite uh, quite usual as well in that kind of dysfunctional families that not always those roles uh, like a golden child or a scapegoat um, or a lost child, they are not always, you know, um, like fixed uh, to a certain child, but they can sometimes, uh, you know, fluctuate between children depending on the situation. So this is the cycle that you know from your childhood. And that kind of narcissistic cycle, that kind of interactions with your parents, well, they are inconsistent because you don't know why, why this devaluation happens, right? And you also don't know why the idealization part happens. So there is lots of inconsistency in, in, you know, in the whole relationship with your caregivers. There is lots of devaluation because when they, when they devaluate you and discard you, there is lots of devaluation. You may, you may be openly told as a child that you, know, you are just not good enough not worthy of their love, things like that. 
there is lots of dehumanization as well because they they may tell you that you know they can't love a person like you or or that you are so such a treble child that you know they just can't be good for you or things like that so there's lots of cows lots of you know inconsistency the bonds that that you are you know developing with your parents they they are not really bonds based on something positive but they are they are bonds which uh, you know, are threatened by those abusive cycles, you know, that are, that are coming like one after another. Um, and at some point, when you are a child, you start saying that this is actually love. This is how love looks like, because you are a child, you don't have another option. You can't really leave this, those parents in, in the majority of cases. <laughs> it, it's not going to happen. So, you have to adjust yourself to that. And of course, if you are a child, you don't have the capacity to understand what is going on. You don't understand that your parent might be narcissistic and do that kind of things, you know, more or less on purpose to you. You just think that this is how normal love looks like. Mm -hmm. And that is called uh, trauma bonding. It's something like, like the Stockholm syndrome. I think that everyone probably heard about the Stockholm syndrome. Uh, at some point of their lives, it's when uh, people who are taken hostage, after a while, they develop emotional bond with a perpetrator, or sometimes they may even fall, fall in love with them. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, a perpetrator, um, someone who takes people hostage, well, they do them harm by taking them hostage, but on the other hand, they may be also nice, give them some food or give them drink, you know, if the hostages behave in a good way so to say so you know this is how it works and it's exactly the same thing that is going on in a dysfunctional family and that is also because you know all the chemistry that is that is going um, in our body because when we are when we are idealized um, by the narcissistic parent and then partner well we may release oxytocin you know, we um, we feel bonded with that person. We start uh, feeling attached to that person, right? Also dopamine. Um, but then there is this devaluation part, discarding part. We become stressed, you know, uh, the cortisol level goes up. And that kind of biochemical cycle is, uh, you know, reinforcing this whole trauma bonding in a relationship. So it's not only, you know, like a purely psychological thing to, to get attracted to, to something like this trauma bonding later in the adulthood. It is just about, you know, repeating those cycles that are that are functioning a bit like, you know, in addiction. When, when you are addicted to, to alcohol or, or some other substance or gambling or sex, um, you basically are addicted because there are, you know, uh, different, uh, different biochemical reactions in your body when you are um, positively reinforced by your addiction, and that's exactly the same with with um, trauma bonding um, in a relationship first in your childhood with your caregiver, your parent, and then in the adulthood um, with a toxic person who quite often is a narcissist you are just repeating the same cycles because you are sort of addicted to it and they are familiar. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, thank you, Dr. Rastira. I mean, um, 
this is uh, one of the most important episodes and um, I wish you, you know, the audience will listen really, um, really carefully to what you were saying. It's very informative and it could be a source of education to help us not only um, improve uh, our relationships, but also um, to spot why uh, some of us are kind of like more vulnerable to being manipulated to understand the trauma uh, that we had is related to our childhood um to take knowledge let's say turning by acknowledging that there is something that needs to be treated and mm-hmm. i hope this this episode will be a wake-up call uh to anyone who would listen and relate to some of the things that was being stated by dr Sarah. Um, I really thank you for this uh, really informative. Uh, even myself, I managed to learn some of the things that I really ignored, and I thank you for that. Well, it's my pleasure to you know bring awareness here in in this podcast um, about that kind of things because we don't really um, we don't really think about our relationships in the adulthood as something as well, we kind of repeat from what we know from our family of origin. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite often, you know, if we even have this awareness that our family of origin wasn't uh, really a healthy family and there were different things going on that we uh, would have preferred not have there, um, we still don't really think that um, we will be repeating something like that. We are quite often very, um, very sure that we are going to be completely different than our parents and this is uh, this is you know this trap basically because well yeah we want to be different we don't want to repeat those patterns that we know from our family of origin but at the same time unfortunately those patterns are so deeply rooted and also reinforced by well the whole uh, you know, biochemistry of, of our body, mm-hmm. um, all those neurotransmitters, for example, uh, or hormones uh, that are released during this trauma bonding that we experience as children, but then we kind of look for the same thing because it's uh, it's just a familiar pattern. And, um, well, we are wrapping up this um, episode, but in the next episode, I will tell more about how to um, recognize that your relationship can be actually based on trauma bonding. What are the red flags um, to pay attention to? And also what we all can do if we find ourselves in that kind of relationship. And maybe even when we recognize that it's not the first relationship of that kind that we had in, in our adulthood. So bringing awareness to this topic is very, very important, especially as unfortunately it is still quite often a taboo topic. We don't really want to talk about it. We don't really want to admit that, well, there were things in our childhood that maybe we didn't like mm-hmm. in our families. Mm-hmm. And it's just something, something that is not really spoken about as loudly as it should be. So. That's why we are bringing awareness in in our podcast. Uh, And I'm very, very grateful that I can be a part of it and, well, share my knowledge on toxic relationships and manipulation and and mental health in relationships with uh, with your listeners. Well, I am grateful for you as well for, you know, 
given us this opportunity to learn from you and to improve not only the relationship and then the knowledge, but also uh, our life. Because um, as I said, and as you already uh, told us, and that most of the problems are unfortunately deeply rooted uh, from traumas in the past in our childhood, but we don't really pay attention to it. We ignore it or we continue to perceive as it is normal or um, like when we have these talks with ourselves, uh, you, you tell yourself that, well, I'm gonna be better. Um, I recognize this and that. But there are always some blind spots that we don't see because our mind perceives them as the normal thing to do. So there is yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. There is no blaming or no one to blame. There is uh, nothing uh, wrong with admitting um, that maybe some of us um, had some issues uh, with their parents. As we say, even the parents, sometimes they inherited uh, these behaviors from their parents, it's a cycle. And we're not here to justify as well. It's just that, as Dr. Estera said, just bring this awareness and how people um, either th seek therapy or at least, you know, uh, acknowledge uh, what is the problem and take action to at least um, uh, create a better future and healthy relationship with yourself and with others. Yes, exactly. Awareness is the first step. It's the baby step, but we can, you know, um, take um, to, well, better well-being and mental health, especially in, in our relationships. So, yeah, that's exactly what we are here for. Thank you. And, well, tune in for the next episode and take care of your mind, body and soul. Okay, thank you for having me here and thank you everyone for listening and I hope that it was informative and somehow uh, assists you in what you need to do uh, to take this first step towards a more happy, happy and fulfilling life and um, relationships. Uh, it was for me. It was very informative. Uh, even myself, I managed to learn some some things that I really ignored uh, in the past. And I thank you. I'm grateful for you for that. Really. Thank you, Rashida. So this was our episode today, and tune in for the next episode.